It's so great to see so many of you here this morning. We always love Resurrection Sunday because we have so many uh, uh, faces we don't see very often. And uh, I just want to let you know, it, whether you're here from out of town or whether you're here from in town and you, uh, you, know, you, you maybe come, came with a loved one today, um, we're just so happy that you're here with us. And, um, and especially, maybe you're here and you don't even believe so much in this church thing or in this God stuff um, and if that's you, I especially want to thank you for coming because that takes a lot of uh, maturity to be able to come and sit through uh, 80 minutes of something you don't even believe. So thank you. I, I'm serious. That's, that's really, uh, it's an honor that you would, you would do that. And I'm going to take the opportunity this morning to, to, uh, to tell the story of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I think um, is, is the, the most powerful uh, thing that's ever taken place, and it's the most powerful story um, that we can tell. And uh, so that's where we're going to jump right in uh, this morning. So for those who are maybe uh, uninitiated, the, the Easter story um, is, uh, well, I, I have to just kind of set the, the stage. Um, and, you know, as uh, Inigo Montoya once said, there is too much to explain, so let me sum up. The Bible's a pretty big book. It's a pretty, pretty big, broad story, right? So uh, I'm just going to sort of give you it in a nutshell. Basically, here it is. God creates man. He's the source of everything. He's the source of all goodness. He's the father. He's the king. And he loves his children. And he wants his children to live forever with him in his kingdom. But his children say no. They say we're not so much into following that idea or following you as king. Thanks but no thanks. And so they went on their way, um, even though the consequence of walking away from the eternal father was separation, was death. And uh, that happened corporately. The human race did that, and we did that individually. Walked away from him, and it was a tragedy because it created a rift, it created a separation, it created brokenness in this world, I think, that he never intended. Um, so what happens there, you know, I, I, I think, you remember the story Jesus told of the prodigal son? You're probably familiar with that story. I won't tell the whole thing, but it started in the very beginning by the son of the, this, this wealthy man saying, Dad, I, I, I don't want to be with you anymore, so how about you just give me your inheritance as if you had died, and I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to leave. I, I would like the gifts that you have for me, but not you yourself. And that's, uh, that's kind of the essence, I think, of our condition uh, when we say no to God. This is sort of the essence, I think, of the, the, the story here. So um, God, uh, he, he saw that and he let us go, which is really quite amazing that he, he, set, he allows that. If, if we don't want to, to have communion with him, he, he lets that go, but he, he's a pursuing type of God. So even when we're gone, he longs for us. We see that picture in that story of the father just sitting on his porch waiting and waiting uh, for the return of his son. And uh, in the biblical narrative, um, we, we see what happens. We see basically a plan being hatched throughout the whole Old Testament. We see it executed in the New. The Bible is not a, a book of laws or a book of morals or a book of wise sayings or even a book of stories. The Bible is a big story. It's a story of a rescue mission, of God himself rescuing his children from sin and death. And the story culminates, the, the, the peak of it is what we celebrate this morning, which is Jesus Christ coming down 
for our sins, for our exile, for our brokenness, and willingly giving up his life and dying so that we can rise with him, so that we can lay our old selves in the grave. We can lay it all to rest and have new life in him. That is the story of the scriptures. We gathered Friday night to, uh, to commemorate his suffering and his death, and it was a very dear uh, time, and it's always really a hard night to think about, to think about all that Jesus went through. Um, and uh, today, we don't focus so much on that. We focus on what happened on Sunday, the resurrection. And so that's why we're here. Now, why do I think the story of Easter is so powerful, is so important? Um, well, um, I, to me, I look at it and, and it, you know, somebody asked me this recently. I was being interviewed um, just about uh, my story with my son, who's severely autistic and things. I've done a good bit of writing on it. And people were asking me, like, okay, you're a believer You've had all kinds of times where you've prayed for your son so he'd be able to, to speak or prayed for him because he's, he's basically nonverbal at 13. And you prayed and prayed for him and his anxiety to go away or his severe OCD, all of these things that just keep him hampered. And, uh, and yet your, your life sometimes is still difficult as you're sharing. So if, if everything's just not like a hunky-dory, then why do you still believe? That's such a good question. And I started thinking about it and the reason I believe is because the, the, the narrative that I've just told, this story of Easter, this story of Jesus Christ makes sense of our lives. It makes sense of our stories more than anything else. It shapes and, and, and it, it matches and it gives reason for what we experience. And, and, and everything counts in our story. And it resonates so deeply with me. So I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But the first part of that is this. The story of Easter, the story of Jesus' sacrifice and, and his, his conquering the grave affirms our inherent value. It affirms our inherent value. Here's a picture of me 10 years ago with my son Sam, 10 years and 20-some pounds. He was born in, uh, in um, uh, Fort Bragg, California. And just like with all of my children, when they emerged from the womb, I have five, each time this thing happened where like you're, you're, you're nervous, everyone's nervous, like, oh, I hope everything goes okay, everything, and then he emerges and it's, it's like relief. And then you see this child and like this, you get this rush of emotion and exhilaration and you get the sense that this is, this is some kind of miracle, you know? And it really is, and you guys who have experiences know what I'm talking about. It's like, okay, we, we, we understand sort of the, the physiological part, right? The scientific explanation of what is going on and, and all of that. Uh, but there's, there's something more than just science here. There's something more than the naturalistic explanation of how life emerges. Because I look at my child, I look at Sam, and I think, he is more than a, a, a jumble of molecules that cries and poops. <laughs> like there's more there. And I, you can see it instantly with your children. Like that's the first bite that just comes out. You're like, this is a miracle. How in the world did this happen? Like, okay, I know how, but like how? Like how? How is it that I see and I'm instantly in love with this child? How? How does it happen? You see, 
People have talked for years about this so-called battle between faith and science, and to me it's the most overblown, overhyped, maddening thing. Because believers, are, we believe in science. And if you don't, we need to scale back a little bit on the culture warring, okay? Seriously, I'm very serious about that. We believe that there is a natural world and God created all these processes. We should rejoice in it and rejoice at new scientific exploration and all this stuff. We should be champions of that. A believer doesn't say no to science. Faith is not opposed to science. What faith says is that there's something beyond science as well. See, faith believes in two worlds. That's the thing. And so when we look at our newborn children, we get that rush. Here's what I think we're sensing. I think we're sensing, yes, there's the scientific part. There's the material part of this. But also, there is something in this child that comes from another world. You know what I'm saying? Like it comes from above. This child was made in the image of God himself. Now, we're supposed to feel that and carry that through our lives. The problem is, is early in our own lives, many of us have had experiences that seem to run up against that. Maybe you've had somebody who told you that you're actually not valuable. That you're not going to amount to anything. You're not worth anything. All of those. We, we end up carrying those and internalizing and coming to all kinds of wrong conclusions that our lives don't really matter. That who would really miss us if we were gone? All of these things. And then we begin to think that about others as well. And we begin to think, what value do we even have? All we are is material. But we're not just material. We're created in the image of God himself. And here is what the Easter story says. Here's how that confirms that. Think about this. Here's what the Easter story claims, guys. How crazy is this? It claims that not only are you valuable, you are so valuable that God himself came down and suffered and died for you. That's how valuable you are. It makes sense of that, that innate understanding that there's something bigger, that there's something more than just skin and bones. So Jesus, with the incarnation and with his suffering, was able to affirm that thing and to say, yes, yes, you are loved. Yes, you are worthy of affection. Did you know you're worthy of affection? Sometimes I think we can take this whole sin thing and like become the ultimate worm. Like, Lord, I've heard people pray like this. Lord, I know I don't deserve anything from you. It's like, okay, okay, all right, I can see it. But then it gets worse. It's like, I just know that I'm just dirt, and I just know, Lord, I'm just the worst human, like just going on and on. I don't even, I, I'm not worthy of like an embracer. I'm not worthy. And then just like, <laughs> just like work ourselves into a lather. And I think he goes, stop it. You're my child. I love you. That's what the cross says to us. Sorry, I'm getting in and preaching before I'm preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. The other, next thing I think the Easter story does, apart from affirming our inherent value, is providing a context for sin and suffering. Because the world is a broken place in need of restoration. Suffering abounds here. I don't know if you've noticed. Sometimes it comes as a result of being in a broken world, and sometimes it comes as a result of, of sin, uh, of, of selfishness, of, of terrible choices by other people. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard by now, some of you probably haven't, that this morning in Sri Lanka, there was a bomb that went off in a church 
that was full of worshipers on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, a couple hours ago, the death toll was over 200 people. Um, hundreds more injured and just a terrible, terrible, awful scene. And you think, Lord, so much brokenness. Lord Jesus, so much brokenness. Lord, help them this morning. We pray that you would bring comfort, that you would bring some redemption out of this, Lord. Please, Lord. The Easter story doesn't wince, it doesn't flinch at suffering because it's so aware. It puts suffering front and center. It doesn't deny it. Crucifixion uh, was the cruelest of Roman punishments. And in fact, uh, it was so cruel, we get the word excruciating, that word. It, it literally means like, like the pain of crucifixion. That's where you get a cru- crux in there. It's, it's Latin. That's what it means. So the, <laughs> our very term for like the worst kind of pain comes from that. Jesus suffered that. It was so painful, not just because of the nails. It was painful because of how drawn out it was. Because over the hours, the, the, the pain would be all over uh, uh, the victim's body and he'd have to keep lifting himself over and over again to try to get breath as his lungs would fill with fluid and it would be a slow suffocation. It was a horrible, terrible thing. And that's what he suffered. So on that day, even his own disciples couldn't deal with it. They ran. The only one who stayed was John. John and the women who had followed him. Isn't that interesting? They stayed and, and, and were loyal through it. Like, can you imagine the pain they must have felt? Because he had not just been their friend. He had not just been their rabbi. He had been the one they placed all their hopes in. And then he was gone. And I can't imagine the devastation that they must have felt. And how wrong they, they must have thought this was. And indeed, there is something that's just, it, 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 it shouldn't be. You see this, it just shouldn't be. Tom Holland is a historian who specializes in uh, ancient history, especially Rome. And uh, he's not a believer, but he recently, a couple years ago, he wrote an article entitled, he had been very critical of Christianity, its influence and the influence of Jesus and all these things. But he, he wrote an important article entitled, Why I Was Wrong About Christianity. And uh, since, uh, he, again, he's, he's not a believer, but he has come to, uh, uh, he's had a real shift in his thinking, and I actually think the hound of heaven is after him. Um, here's what he said. Get this. This was sort of, it caused a lot of stir among some of his followers and some of the different skeptics who had followed his writing. Um, here's what he said. We preach Christ crucified, St. Paul declared, unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Paul was right. Nothing could have run more counter to the most profoundly held assumptions of Paul's contemporaries, Jews, Greeks, or Romans. The notion that a god might have uh, suffered torture and death on a cross was so shocking as to appear repulsive. Familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our senses of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. In the ancient world, it was the role of the gods who laid claim to ruling the universe to uphold its order by inflicting punishment, not to suffer it themselves. Do you see how shocking this would have been to them? And how shocking it really ought to still be for us today. It was a revolutionary idea, and it doesn't end with the cross, because the fact is you and I have suffered too. We've suffered 
disease, we've suffered the loss of dear people we love, we have suffered pain, we've suffered separation. And uh, I actually think most of the time when people walk away from God, it's not so much because of the arguments, but because of pain and disappointment. The why God questions, why did you allow this to happen? Why did you allow our dear friend to die? Why did you allow me to be abused as a child? Or why did you, uh, you know, allow this rift or whatever it is? I want you to know, if you are here and you don't believe in God, I want you to know that we Christians, we sometimes pretend that we don't have these questions because we're embarrassed by them sometimes, but we absolutely grapple with this. In fact, many of us are grappling with this right now. We lost our dear Janae just two weeks ago. And um, this congregation actually has really been, we've had, I'm gonna tell you, like the Lord's doing amazing things in the midst of this, let me say. But it's been a really hard six months. We've had, Doug said, we've had like seven funerals here the past six months. Um, and uh, this, this last one was Janae's homecoming. Um, she, was, she was only 42. Um, and so there was, you know, when I reflect on this, I, I think, it, you know, it was ju- it's just wrong. It was so, it was just too early. She's only 42. But it wasn't just the earliest. It was how quickly it happened. For those who aren't aware, I mean, she had been um, a part of, basically a part of my family for 16 years. She had been an auntie to the kids and a sister to myself. She'd been very dear to us. Um, and uh, just two, or three weeks ago, um, she had stayed at our house over the weekend. And, um, and on Monday morning, Sarah took her to the doctor. By that evening, she was in ICU. Two days later, uh, her oncologist said um, that it was stage four and the next day they said it was beyond anything they could do, and the next day she was in hospice, and then she was gone within 48 hours. Like, that's how quickly. It was like boom, 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 and it just nobody had any time to prepare. And so we're still kind of reeling. We're like, what, what just happened? So we have so many questions that linger in times like this. Lord, what do we do about the pain we experience? Lord, why didn't you come through in this situation? We carry these things. And you guys, we do a disservice to ourselves and those around us if we just pretend we've still just got the joy, joy, joy right now or that we're inside, outside, upside, downside, happy all the time because we're not. And when we're not and when we're grieving and when we're hurting, we need to just be honest about that and say, this is hard. This is hard. And I think God invites us to say, to be honest with him because he can already see the truth and say, Lord, I'm suffering right now and this stinks. And even to say, Lord, why didn't you step in? See, we do a disservice to those around us too because they think, man, these Christians are really fake. Like, I know they're hurting and they're pretending they're not. We do. And it's in the middle of these times, in the middle of this hardship, uh, that we have an opportunity um, to, to see something unique about Jesus Christ. Here's what uh, Gregory Boyd, the theologian, said. He, uh, he, when he was in college, he had dealt with a lot of loss himself. He had, he had lost his, his mom and he had just been dealing with this, all of the, this question of suffering and hardship and all of these things. And, and finally, he had been studying the horrors of Auschwitz. And it had affected him so profoundly that he was considering walking away from his faith. And he talks about it in his wonderful book, Letters from a Skeptic. He says this, Finally, I looked up at the sky and cried out with a loud, angry voice, The only God I can believe in is the one who knows firsthand what it's like to be a Jewish child buried alive. 
and who knows what it's like to be a Jewish mother watching her child be buried. And just then it occurred to me, or was it revealed? That is exactly the kind of God Christianity proclaims. You see it? You see, one of the, one of the names Jesus had was Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the spirit of Jesus is not squeamish about suffering, whether it's his or whether it's ours. Rather, he draws near. Everything we feel, he feels. All the pain that we have when we lose a loved one, all the pain that so many of you have over losing Janae or losing these other people, all of that, he feels every bit of it. He relates to our pain. He relates to our sadness, even to our confusion, because he's God with us. He's not far and distant in some other dimension that has like gets you know messages from the angels. That's way maybe that works for like Thor and those other gods out there, but it doesn't work for him. He's God with us. He draws near to us. He feels the same ache that we feel. I'm not suggesting that this solves all of our issues with suffering. It doesn't. But for me, what it does do is gives me a context for my own pain. See, Jesus himself made a promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Therefore, I know, guys, that I don't suffer alone. He suffers with me. And he's made provision for it to end one day through his own suffering. Isn't that incredible? You see what, how the Easter story, it actually gives us a context for all of it. In other words, it matters. It's not worthless. It matters. He really does cry with us. He really does record all of this and draws near. He affirms our value. He provides a context for our suffering. And finally, he gives a reason for stubborn hope. Let's pick up the story Jesus has died, and Joseph of Arimathea has laid his body in a grave. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. They didn't have morticians back then, so people would come and prepare the body to, to, you know, to be laid to, to rest permanently. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But that when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I want to pause there for just a second. Can I just lift that question out of its context? Because this question just jumped off the page for me. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I, I want to make a suggestion to you. I think if the angels could ask us in modern America any question, it might be the same question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Because we, so many of us, are searching for things that really matter in places that we'll never find them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek life in sterile places? Why do you seek meaning in your vocation? Why do you seek acceptance on social media? Why do you seek your legacy and your wealth? 
Why do you seek justice and hashtags, love and pornography, joy and binge watching? Why do you hold on to lasting, why, why, why do you seek after lasting things that they themselves don't last? It's a question for each of us today. And if you find that you have this burning desire for, for these eternal things, these, this itch that you can't quite get to, and you find yourself seeking after it in all of these different ways, that, you can, that thing can be fulfilled. That desire for joy, that desire for life can finally be fulfilled. If you find yourself seeking after that, I've got really good news for you. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Creatures are, born, are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. <sighs> Do you feel that? Do you feel that yearning for things that don't exist here? Do you find yourself itching and aching for things that you can't quite grab? Because I don't know about you, I sure do. And the fact that you're so stubbornly holding on to hope for your life, the fact that you're still searching, that, let me tell you, that is unnatural for this world. That comes from somewhere else. That is a song from another country. Because this world here, it's decaying. It's falling under the spell of entropy, order to chaos. It's happened in our bodies, it's happening in our planet, it's happening in our value system. Just turn on the evening news if you don't believe me. This world is falling apart. So this thing that stirs in you, this stubborn desire for wholeness that drives you to search for a lasting source of hope, this is a song from the other place. This is a stirring of God himself. It exists because Jesus came up from the grave. Hope was killed, you guys. But then he rose again. And he calls us. He calls us even through our longings. Even through our longings sometimes that are twisted in strange and, and, and hurtful directions. Those longings themselves he put there. That desire for wholeness, those desires for joy, the desire for love, all of those things are innate. And it's proof that he himself has made you for something bigger than this world can offer. Worship team, can you come? I think those stirrings, he hears those stirrings in us and he says, yes, yes, Good, good, good. You're looking, you're looking for peace. Very good. You're not going to find it on Twitter, promise, but the fact that you're looking for peace, it's good because, because he's the source of peace and we can find it in him. You're looking for joy. Okay, you're not going to find it in eight hours on Netflix, probably, but the fact that you feel that thing, pay attention to those desires. Pay attention. They're oriented wrongly right now, but he can, he can fix those. He can turn those in his, back in his direction because he's the thing you're really looking for. All of those things. This, this is why, you guys, we can have hope in the midst of sadness and rejoice. It's because of this right here. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and the third day rise? You remember that? Like he told them all this. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Hope was killed, but he has risen. The story of Easter affirms our inherent value. It provides a context for sin and suffering, and it gives us a reason for stubborn hope. We're going to sing this song one more time. I ran out of that grave, right? Because it, it affirms this thing, that he is, life itself is calling to us, and we have that opportunity to run out of that grave. So I want to invite you, stand, and then we're going to pray, and, and we're going to have a chance to respond to him. Buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing the night Sin of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healer. 
us. Because here, I, I maintain that he's calling everybody's name. I really do. And I want to ask specifically, have you felt those stirrings in you? Have you heard him calling your name because he is calling your name? And maybe you have answered before and stopped answering him. Maybe you haven't found your home in him. Maybe you've walked away from him or maybe you've, you've never come to him. Well, I've got great news for you. You can answer him today. He's called your name. Is it, anybody just say, I'm just ready to answer that. Anybody? I'm just ready to answer that. Let's, uh, amen. All right. Yeah. Here, let's, let's pray this. Just pray this with me because you can just invite him in right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I hear you calling. And I'm ready to answer. I say yes to you. I say no to my own sin. Lord, come into my heart. Lord, take the throne of my heart. Lord, I want to live for you now. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising. Thank you for living with us. Amen. Yes. I want to have the elders of the prayer team come on up. Come on up. You guys need prayer for anything, especially if you just made that decision today. Please come and talk to us so we can celebrate and pray with you. Elder's going to come up. Thank you guys for celebrating with us. There's cinnamon rolls, there's coffee, and there's the people of God. Praise Him. He is risen.